I'm so glad you're here today. I think God is going to do something special. But truthfully, I think God's going to do something special every time we open up the Word. Whether it's be together or whether it's privately, I, I'm just so convinced that the Holy Spirit loves teaching us and changing us from the inside out. Helping us understand all what abundant life is all about. You see, we have been in the book of Philippians. In fact, we only have one more week. So this week, as we just about close up this letter, I just want to remind you, Paul is chained. He's chained. He's chained to a Roman guard. He is recognizing that he can't do what he wants to do. He's been delayed. He's been delayed talking to Caesar. He's been delayed, well, planting more churches and, and feeling like, like, God, why? And he's waited and he's waited. And early in his time, he recognized that this was God working, that God was allowing this, that he would be able to proclaim the good news to all of these guards for a period of four years. You know, the scripture doesn't tell us the response. The scripture doesn't say how many people were transformed, how many of these seasoned soldiers actually came to faith. But Paul writes, he's excited because he was able to share good news. That's how it often is with us. We, we don't see the results of sharing good news or letting people know about what happened when we met Jesus, when we realized we were sinners, when we realized that oh, God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die and to spill his blood so that it would take care of all of our sins. Oh, that's good news. The news is that Jesus came to save us because we couldn't save ourselves. And when Paul proclaims that, whether it be to a hardened soldier or a woman on the side of a river, God changes lives. And if you've been with us, Paul's intensity and passion seems to grow as we go deeper in this letter. There's no doubt, I, I wouldn't say it's Paul's favorite church, because then we get in trouble, right? But he really loved this church. And more than anything, you can tell over and over and over again, he just wanted these folks, these folks he cared about so much, to live abundantly. He did not want them to struggle. He wanted them to thrive. <laughs> but... Paul knew they were struggling. Paul knew right at the end here he better address some of those struggles. In fact, as we went into it last week, and we'll finish up this week, we, we find out that this is stuff that so many of us struggle with. We know the enemy works hard in the church, but Paul wanted to set them up well. Last Sunday, we hit four struggles. Four things that we have a tendency to, well, not do. 
And as a result, struggle. One is we just don't spend time with Jesus. And, and Paul encouraged them to make that a priority. Because spending time with our Lord changes our perspective and changes our energy and changes everything. He also mentioned that, you know, there is often struggles with other believers especially. That there is conflict. But because we all are part of God's family, we have the ability and the power to work through these conflicts to God's glory. You also mentioned there's a lack of joy. It's kind of humorous, really, if you read through this book, because Paul is reminding the Christians again, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful, be joyful. Well, apparently they hadn't arrived. <laughs> they weren't so joyful. And so Paul just reminds them again that, hey, it is time to rejoice. Don't focus on circumstances. Focus on who Jesus is and how amazing his salvation is for each one of us. And lastly, he said, uh, you know what? You struggle with being gentle. You love being in charge. You love getting big and winning. And Paul just said, hey, when, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, we grow in gentleness. Now, today, today, Paul addresses two more struggles and gives hope for the journey. I just want you to know that one of these struggles most of us just kind of live with. The other struggle is devastating. Actually, both are. So before we get to our scripture, which will be in Philippians chapter 4, you can open up your Bibles, you can open up your screens, I'd like to pray. Father, we're so excited to be able to come here today. We are so grateful that we can come boldly into your presence that together we can come as a community and lift your name and sing your praises and proclaim your truth and come even now boldly into your throne room and to be able to share our hearts with you. Father, we are grateful that you loved us. We are grateful that you poured out your grace and gave us mercy. So, God, would we reflect that even today? Lord, we pray right now for the church all over the world. Believers who are gathering together, believers who are praising, some in small rooms and some in great cathedrals, some in fields. Father, we have an opportunity, even as this church, be able to support the church in Rwanda. Our brother Nana will be going there. And we have had an opportunity to bring supplies and funds to be able to encourage the believers in Rwanda. We pray for them especially and for Nana's journey and trip and that he would be a breath of fresh air and that those believers would be encouraged. Father, we thank you for other churches right in our area, not only in our own neighborhoods and state and country, but specifically, Lord, we pray for the orchard in McHenry. 
Well, we pray for the orchard also in, in, in Barrington and Arlington Heights. But I, I pray, dear Father, that, that you would encourage the believers there. We also pray for redemption, and we pray for life spring. We pray for our church, Father. We pray for the believers here that we would be transformed by your word, that circumstances wouldn't discourage us, and that we would be salt and light wherever you send us, that we would have a sense of who you are, a clear picture of your power and authority. I pray for all those who are downstairs, our kids who are learning about who you are, the teachers who are teaching them. We pray, dear Father, that you would empower them and strengthen them. And even for all of the ministries that are looking forward in these next few weeks to be able to launch, we ask you, dear God, that you would provide leaders and that we as a church would be able to encourage others on their journey. We are so grateful again, Father, just to meet. We pray that and say that more often because we remember what it was not meeting. And we are just unbelievably grateful. So today, as we open up your word, as we continue to worship, and even later as we celebrate your your death in communion time, that you would... Move in us today. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Paul talks about worry as sin. <laughs> All right? Sin. But, but you know what's weird? Is worry seems to be acceptable. Worry actually just seems to be part of life. Don't you hear this? Hey, you know what? I was born that way. I'm a worry ward. After all, it's my kids. And if we know your kids, we know why you worry. All right? So somehow we sort of think, oh, it's okay. Worry is kind of normal, and worry should be accepted, and and worry shouldn't be such a big deal. What I want you to hear is that authenticity is good. But according to the Scriptures, being anxious is not. Worry is a sin. It's an abomination against God. It's a big deal. And the reason is it has such severe ramifications in life. And you may not even understand all of them. But Paul knew of the Philippian Christian struggle with worry. His word of of advice, just like we followed this format last week, is don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Really? That's what you got? (laughs) That's the solution? Let's read chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Don't worry about anything. Underline it. Circle the next word. Instead, pray about everything. 
Keep, keep, keep telling God or tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, there is negative and positive worry. Positive worry is concern, and it doesn't debilitate or diminish your faith in God. You will read over and over, especially in the Apostle Paul's letter, hey, I have a concern for this church. He's not necessarily worried about this church. He's not fretting about this church. But he sees some things that he wants to address. He trusts God more in it, and it doesn't hamstring you or restrict you. Now, negative worry is different. It is living with self-defeating, persistent thoughts which restrict or shackle rather than empower. This type of anxiety is sin. This form of worry, well, the Bible describes it as, well, the kind of worry that pagans or those that don't have God do. You live as though God didn't exist, as if he's really not the all-sovereign ruler overall. You might think of your worries as false prophets. Sometimes that helps. They're telling you that God isn't good, God isn't sovereign, and God isn't wise. And if this be the case, you need to listen to another sermon. Worry is a joy killer. It makes you self-absorbed rather than God-absorbed. When you're consumed with worries, you are distracted and will be less likely to serve others wholeheartedly. Worry robs you of peace and keeps you from God's mission for you. Now right here, right in this text, Paul gives two commands. They are not suggestions. Hey, Paul, thanks for sharing your thoughts. No, Paul is sharing God's thoughts. And he says this, don't be anxious. Pray. Don't be anxious about anything pray. Don't we put, well, some of the things we worry about in categories? Well, okay, I'm going to be five minutes late. I'm not going to worry about that. But holy cats, the doctor just told me I have two weeks left to live? (laughs) Whoa, that's category A. Like, I, I need to worry about this. This is, no, the command is don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Keep telling God what you need. And again, we talk about prayer a whole lot here, and and prayer is mysterious in many ways. If God really is in control, which he is, and God knows what's going to happen, which he does, why pray? I, I mean, really? 
But somehow God puts all that together and says, no, I want you to pray. That's important. I want you to keep telling God what you need. Well, God, no. No, tell God what you need and keep doing that. And thank God for what you have. God's promise is this. God's peace or the assurance that he's got it. He's got it in his hands will exceed our understanding and guard our minds. Prayer shows we're dependent upon God. It's easy to find out how dependent you are on God. Just kind of look at your calendar. How often do you go to God? How often do you talk to God? Because the more you pray, the more you see your need, the more you understand that you need to depend on God. So I'm not even actually judging you at this moment, but it's a good way to find out, hey, how dependent am I of, of uh, uh, how dependent am I on God? We all have a choice. We do. We can worry or we can trust God. That's why, listen to this, worry is such a heinous sin. Most of us would not put it up into murder and put it up into, you know, some of these really horrific things. But to God, remember, faith is everything. We will never please God without faith. And when we worry, we are not trusting God. You see, worry shows you do not know God well, which will raise another red flag, that's all. It's not there to beat you up, but, but honestly, if you are a worrywart, you cannot stop worrying. Actually, that means, hey, I need to spend more time with Jesus. I need to open the Word a little bit more. I need to listen to him. I need to understand who he is and how powerful he is. And in the name of Jesus, wow, that is a pretty amazing name. What power, what authority. And then I'm one of his kids. I can't believe it. I'm going to trust you, God. Worry shouts that you do not trust God. You see, God clearly gives us a pathway. We we don't have to worry. The alternative is pray. So uh, I I struggle there too. Yeah, maybe. D.A. Carson, one of my profs um, in seminary when I was there, he, he said this, I have yet to meet a chronic worrier who enjoys an excellent prayer life. Think about it. Think about it. God is never asking you to be foolish. But God is certainly saying, hey, do do you understand who you are? You're one of my kids. You're one of my kids. Here's some other key texts on the Sermon of the Mount. When Jesus was 
was preaching to multitudes of people. He had his disciples with him. But in, in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he was trying to proclaim what the kingdom of God would look like. How it would be different to live underneath God's good rule. And he says this later on, uh, about verse 31. He says, to all this crowd, don't worry about these things. After he went through and listed all the things that we normally worry about, like food and provision and, and shelter. And Jesus, don't worry about these things. What shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers or people that don't know Jesus. And sometimes people that do know Jesus. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. And then listen to this verse, a verse that almost every one of you know. The Lord knows your needs. The Lord knows your situation. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. You know, it's so encouraging is talking to, well, shall I say, saints who have walked with God for a really long time. They've got less ahead of them in the journey than behind them. And you just ask them, hey, what's the secret? How come you're joyful? What is it that makes your eyes dance? And they look at you and say, you know what? God is faithful. I know that every morning his mercy is new. And he takes care of me. And maybe they'll tell you 50 or 60 or 70 years of God's faithfulness over and over and over and over and over again. How cool is that? Now we can start worrying at 20 if we're ever going to find the guy that we're supposed to, to marry. I think it's important. I do. Or you can walk with God and just allow this amazing guy to show up and get connected that way. First Peter 5, 7. Peter writes this, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Do you believe that? Give them to him. Hey, Lord, I don't know if uh, I'm going to be able to find this job. I don't know. Give it to him. The Old Testament counterpart to, to this verse is in Psalm 55, 22, where the psalmist writes, give your burdens to the Lord and he will take care of you. Joshua chapter 1. This is such an exciting text. Verses 7 to 9. Joshua has just been given the authority to go in and take the promised land. He has taken the reins of Israel after Moses, perhaps one of Israel's greatest leaders, maybe Israel's greatest leader, has just died. Is there a, a cause for worry? I think so, right? Good reason. You've got two million Jews that aren't the happiest people in the world. For one thing, you've got walled cities and giants and soldiers with really sharp swords. Yeah, that's something to worry about, right? No, 
No, it isn't. We sang about the battle is the Lord's. That's the bottom line. But listen to Joshua 1, verses 7 and 9. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then you will prosper and succeed all you do. And then listen to this last part. Oh, oh, this is good. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What kind of a promise is that? Why are you going to worry about the walled city? Why are you going to worry about all those soldiers? Why are you going, this is what I've asked you to do. I will be with you. Go, march, quit fooling around. Oh, the Jordan is there. Okay, I'll separate it. You guys can walk through on dry ground. No big deal. Let's go. There's a lot to worry about in life. But it kind of fades when you know You can be strong and courageous because you have God. You have God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do. And he will show you what path to take. You know, I think it's so important. Remember, God has got it. A verse you go to, maybe you go to more than any other verse once you become a child of God. Romans 8, 28. And we know, we know, we know, we know this is a fact. God causes everything, everything, not some things, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for him. Do we believe that? If we do, we don't have to worry. We don't. We don't. We can let God take care of it. My friend, I'm going to call him Jethro. That's only because I don't want you to know who it is. I don't have that many. No. Um, But this is a friend. His name is Jethro, and I think he's a hero. Jethro is a pastor. He loves the Lord. He walks with God. I love doing life with Jethro. But I remember just a few years ago the call. You know, you all get those calls, don't you? And with weeping and sobbing on the other side, he just said, my wife has an aggressive cancer. Now, I couldn't even understand him, to be quite honest with you. And it's a little awkward, like, what? And I finally heard what he said. And it was years and years over and over, all kinds of doctors and visits and transfusions. It was this type of rare leukemia. And you know what I heard every time I heard from Jethro? It was tears. God has this. God has this. Then on top of that, a short time later, his son in the prime of his life was struck with a debilitating rare disease also. 
got that call. And did God's got this. His daughter had a painful, abusive relationship and a brother who struggles deeply with depression and ministry. Every time, God's got this. In the midst of the pain and the tears, not always even understanding and hanging on to God with his life, he would eke out the words, God's got this. What a blessing to have a God and not to worry as we grow in our faith and in trust in him. Now, Paul also knew of the Philippians' church's struggle with impurity. Paul's last word of advice is fix your thoughts on healthy Now let's read Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Hey, it's the last thing I'm going to give you, he says. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and receive from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. One final thing. Paul addresses a Christian's thought life. You go, really? Now just be patient with me here because I'm going to meddle just a little bit. And it's going to feel a little bit like I'm picking on the guys. And that's okay. Sometimes they need to be picked on. But but we look at this and, and we recognize that God is wired, especially males, in a certain way. But I'm telling you, What has happened in our culture since the internet and since the computer is epidemic, is epidemic. You may be alarmed by some of these statistics, and I'm just going to share some of them. And, And these are some that I address with guys who come to me or in the midst of groups find out again, especially guys, that they're not thinking good thoughts. Listen to this. 62% of evangelical men view porn compared to 64% of the general population. Isn't that exciting? Guys that follow Jesus... The stats say they're 2% better. So in this church, if the odds are just kind of normal, six out of 10 guys in this church are looking at porn. So what kind of porn? Soft porn, hard porn. Well, what are you talking about? Folks, I I don't want to argue. I just want you to know that this is, and I also want you to know, you know what the stat is on pastors? You know those holy men? 50%. Doesn't that give you chills? 
50% of the guys in the pulpit right now feed their minds on porn consistently. Pornography use, uh, pornography use increases marital infide- infidelity rate by 300%. Do you realize right now, again, it does not make a difference, and this is sad, between those that go to church and those that do not. 50% of those who get married today divorce. So if you add Pornography on that? Listen to this. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. 94% of children will see porn by the time they're 14 years old. Okay? Lastly, only 7% of pastors who are interviewed say their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. Now, you can get all kinds of different stats. You can. And you can look at all these, but, but they're basically the same, okay? And by me saying that is, there is a problem. There is a problem. Porn has a stranglehold and usually grabs us through media and erodes our barriers, I don't know how many times you say, you know what? Hey, I recommend this movie. I know there's one sex scene, but you know what? If you, yeah. All I'm saying is, if you get a steady picture of things you ought not to be watching, it eventually wears you down, no matter what it is. Ladies, you watch media. Guys, you watch media. Guys have a little bit stronger bent in this area. But the scriptures say this. Choose to fill your mind with wholesome. Or there's going to be consequences. Just like choose to fill your body with healthy or there are consequences. How many would just like to have a hot fudge Sunday for breakfast? Come on. Am I the only guy? That would be classic. The problem is I'd like a hot fudge Sunday for lunch and for supper. You might shake it up just a little bit, but, but everything that, man, I really want to eat, mm, not so good, you know. And I guess what happens if you choose just to do that kind of a thing, I guarantee the scale will tell you, but also your heart. We have a tendency, and listen to this, that we can beat the system. We're different. Do you ever think that? You know what? I can eat an extra slice of key lime pie, and I'm going to swim some extra laps. Really? Let me tell you how that goes. All right? Or we just think, I can look at a little bit of porn. Hey, I'm happily married. Or hey, it's not going to hurt anyone. Or hey, I can click on that. Or I can go here. Or I can watch this show. It's funny for the most part. Choose. 
Choose by God's strength. Choose by God's strength. Keep choosing by God's strength to fix your thoughts. Keep fixing your thoughts. Don't stop fixing your thoughts on what is true. And in this context, it's talking about Scripture. Truths. There's no doubt. Keep fixing your thoughts every single day on what is honorable, what is worthy of respect, what is right, what is just, in other words, what is pure, what is lovely. And the word there would mean sweet or gracious or generous and admirable, commendable. Choose to think about these things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Because if you don't, and if I don't, there are consequences. Keep putting into practice, Paul says, all that you've learned from me, you've heard from me, you've observed. Choose and obey, then God's peace will be with you. You know, it's great advice back then, and it's life-giving advice today. What you think about matters. Listen to these other texts. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, which in this context is your mind. It's the Hebrew mentality. So guard your mind above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Proverbs 4.23. Most important thing, above all else, watch what goes in here. Because if you haven't noticed too, whatever goes in here never leaves. You may not think you have a steel trap, but you do. You do. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 18 and 20. This is great advice. It's the Apostle Paul talking again to a pastor friend of his. Listen, listen to what he says. Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. Timothy, may you fight well in the Lord's battles. He says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. Be careful of what you put in. Because listen, for some people have deliberately violated their consciences. They have looked at things and dwelt on things and fed on things. Allowed things into your mind. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. And let me just remind you, nobody likes a shipwreck. It destroys all the things on the boat. You don't even know if you're going to make it. You float around on on pieces of debris. It's what the Bible says. You will deliberately violate your conscience. The psalmist writes this. Actually, it's David. Psalm 101.3. I will refuse to look at anything vile or vulgar. That is my standard. Psalm 119, especially verse 37. This is David's prayer. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. 
You know, oftentimes, even as I, I was growing up, there, there would be certain uh, types of songs or certain types of media. And my dad, again, what an uh, amazing dad he was, but he would, he would come and say, Rick, you can't listen to rock and roll. Okay. What does that mean? You know, like. But you know what was really cool is that, in my opinion, <laughs> there are some pretty evil lyrics out there. There are some pretty things that, you know, if I kept dwelling on it, I get it. And even today, I know we're way past rock and roll. But God allowed some pretty amazing groups to come around that had unbelievable messages, like Petra. I've mentioned that before. As I was growing up as a teenager, their theology was unbelievable. And I was to replace something that that I enjoyed was something that would be wholesome. And that's what's important. Because God says you're going to fill your mind, just so you know. You're going to do it. But why don't you fill it with something wholesome? Something wholesome. So what do you do? What do you do? Uh, let me g- give you hope. Because if there are some who are struggling, and there are some who are struggling, just so you know, um, God says, I'm going to give you grace, and I'm going to give you a way, and we're going to work this out, and I can help you live abundant life, and you don't have to worry, and you don't have to fill your mind with crud. First of all, fixing our eyes on unhealthy is wrong. It's sin. Call it that and start there. Confess it. God will give you grace. God will forgive you. But there's also things and habits and addictions that if you've been doing it a long time, you're going to need some help. Holy Spirit is going to keep convicting you. Holy Spirit is going to give you power and authority. But I am telling you, this is so important to be able to treat this seriously. So you call it sin. You confess it. And, and remember, and let me just remind especially the guys here, there is a choice that happens after the glance. Okay. We cannot get away from the glance. Some of the ladies, whether it be you're ordering on Amazon and the sidebars go like, whoa, how did that one come here? But if it's, what, whoa, oh, oh, that is not good. As she walks by in the office, You can't help but see her. I get it. That's called the glance. But God says it's the gaze that is wrong. I think accountability is critical, but I've also been around long enough knowing that accountability sometimes works. I think it's important. But guys are really good, especially at lying, they just are. They can cover their bases. There are things out there called covenant eyes for computers. Or we have been using in this ministry and Crosspoint. We don't advertise it a lot simply because this. 
There's not a lot of guys who are going to raise their hand and say, you know what, I need that ministry. I'm sad about it, but, but that's true. But it's something called the Conqueror Series, where we couple you together with guys who are willingly understanding that they're struggling, and we can help them. I want you to know that the majority of the guys who are going through help like this are very young men. They are. Most of the older guys don't admit it. They don't admit it. There's also something called groups. Guys groups especially. We started another one on Saturday. And honestly, guys, we want to encourage you to come together and be accountable and learn. Don't stick your head in the sand especially identify it as a stronghold in your life, own it, and get some help. You know, it's really cool. In Psalm 119, verse 9, we teach this verse especially to our Awana clubbers very early in their ministry. It says this, how can a young person stay pure? By obeying God's word, by staying in God's word. I am telling you, there's more of a chance for you to stay pure and to be strong by you understanding, replacing what you normally would do by spending some time with God. So, Paul knows of the Philippian church's struggles. Actually, he knows of ours. We have a tendency to worry rather than trust God. And, And we have a tendency to fill our minds with things that will be so destructive down the road. It will hurt your whole perspective of women. It will hurt your marriage or your potential marriage. It will hurt your ministry. It will hurt your leadership. I'm telling you, the enemy is not dumb. And not only do you need to pray and I need to pray, but we need to pray I'm letting you know there's a few guys that I know of I'm fighting for. I'm fighting for. And we can fight. We can fight. And it's worth it. Because what Paul says is this I want you to thrive, I don't want you to exist. I want you to experience abundant living because when you do, when you shut your eyes, you're going to have eternity and it's going to be awesome. Let me pray. Father, uh, we're weak. We need you. We know that we will struggle. But God, you've given us access to you, your power, your authority. Open our eyes to how wonderful you are. And the life that you promised is way better than what the enemy has to offer. Oh, Jesus, we pray. Change us. Change us in your power and your authority. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.